jump right into it this morning if you will join with me. And I'm going to encourage you if you have the ability to. I don't know. Again, this is a new, this still after two years of doing this and looking into this camera, um, still sort of getting used to things. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes I try to picture people sitting there eagerly watching. And then other times when I'm struggling, I see people sitting there in their PJs uh, laid out on their couch with the TV on and me over in the corner. It's just, give me strength, Jesus. But that being said, um, if you have a Bible or you have a phone that you're not using, and maybe you're watching me on your phone, that won't work. But if you have another device, I want you to follow along with me this morning, scripturally. I want you to actually, instead of, I, I don't have the ability right now. Hopefully, we'll get back into a studio here in the next couple of weeks. And if that's the case, maybe we'll have the ability to do this. Uh, but I don't have the ability to put scriptures on screen, especially now that I'm doing live. Sometimes if I pre-record, I can do it. But we're live today. Obviously, you can see behind me, I could not get the glare off of my blinds behind me because the sun is so bright. Um, but I don't have the ability to put the scriptures up on the screen. So I really feel like today, you, if you're able to, you need to get your Bible out. Or get another device. If you're on your iPad, get your iPhone. If you're on your iPhone, get your iPad. If you're on your screen, get something. Get the old family Bible. Dust it off. I mean, actually, Kate, can you hand me that ESV? This is a, I've got a new Bible. Maybe you have a Bible of this side. My lovely assistant's going to help me this morning. Um, hand this to me. But maybe you have a Bible quite of this size. I mean, this is, this is what we call a Bible. I mean, in case you uh, kids don't know, this is a Bible. Uh, it's actually not, most people say, I'll get your Bible. This, for most kids, this is your Bible, right? No, actually, this is still a Bible. So you might have a Bible this size. Whatever you have, take a hold of it. Let's get it out today because I feel like it's important that you follow along with me. Now, I'm going to be reading out several different translations, but whatever translation you have, there should be enough parallels in those. I'm not going to be reading any of the New Living Translations Message Bible. I'm going to be sticking with more traditional sounding translations. But I say that because I want you to be able to look at these things as well. And maybe as you're looking at those things, as we're going through the scripture, that God will actually speak to you something in a greater way, more revelation than I'm sharing with you today. That's how powerful the word of God is. So let God speak to you today as we go through some very familiar. Now I'm going to go through some scriptures that more than likely you're going to, oh, I don't need to read that. I know it. I get it. I get it. There's a couple, there's some scripture we're going to use today. I guarantee you that you, most of us have probably read, probably read them a thousand times, but we're going to read them again today because we're going to pull out some, some points and some words in these scriptures that are going to help build us a, a very important foundation that we're going to trace from the beginning of the Bible all the way through um, uh, the, the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, Again, if you have a Bible, let's get that out. Let's go all the way back. Very, very, very easy. If, you, if you're not a very good Bible searcher, meaning you have trouble trying to find where Scripture is in Bible, I'm going to make it easier for you today. I'm going to ask you to go with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Not hard to find. If you don't know where it is, just jump in the middle and start turning left until you get to the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 1. Again, I'm going to be reading out of what uh, I'm going to be reading for this one out of the New King James Bible. But you might have the King James. You might have I, this is technically I like this has become one of my new favorite translations. This is the ESV. 
Um, there are multiple translations out there now. So whatever translation you have, grab that right now. But if you want to follow along with what I'm using for this particular scripture, it is the NKJV. All right, so let's just jump right into it. We're going to read just two verses here. You probably could quote them or come close to them, but we're going to read them again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we know this as the opening line to the narrative of creation, right? We follow with the next uh, verses that follow after the first two that detail creation. Um, but years ago, I will just say this to me, to you, I struggled with Genesis 1 from the standpoint of um, if you look at Genesis 1 as a scientific book, you know, because this is sort of the one of the things that people, and I, I want to make this point. It's not what I'm trying to make today. I just want to make this point. If you look at Genesis 1 and you look at it scientifically, you start to struggle with interpretation because, again, you're like, well, how can it be one day? Is it one day 24 hours? Is one day, you know, is one day a longer period of time? How long is a day? And just, you start to run into some struggle with that. And uh, years ago, uh, as I'm struggling with this and seeking the Lord for some understanding, um, I believe the Lord began to show me that in reality, Genesis 1 was never meant to be a scientific explanation of the earth's origin. And what I mean by that, and I say that, Genesis 1 was written by Moses three, four, five thousand 5,000 years ago, whatever it is, depending on what timeline you believe is the truth, but it's thousands of years ago. So the point to that is if Genesis 1 was written to prove science, what science was being proven? Because when Moses penned this under the unction of the Holy Spirit, was he trying to prove the science of the day, of that day, the understanding of the cosmos of that day? Because it hasn't been until really recent history, several hundred years ago, that we discovered that the sun is the center of our universe. And we didn't discover to not too long ago in the timeline of life, just several hundred years ago, that, oh, by the way, the earth isn't flat. It's actually round. And it wasn't until we went to space in the 60s, and we look back at Earth, we realize, yeah, it's true. This thing is round. Look at it. So if we're trying to prove, you use Genesis 1 scientifically, uh, then we have to ask our question, ourselves the question, what science are we trying to prove? Because it would be very arrogant of us to say, what's well, trying to prove science of 2022? Because what's things about science is science is constantly evolving. More discoveries are being made that is challenging old ideas and changing those things. I remember just in, um, in, in, in medical science between the difference between when our first child was born in 2007 and our last child was born in 2012, in five-year period, how much pediatric care changed and the things that they gave the child at 2007, we don't do that now in 2012 because they're constantly changing. So I want to make sure you understand it because... If you look at Genesis strictly from scientific creation standpoint, it's, it's never going to make sense. But we're not looking at Genesis today scientifically. We're going to look at Genesis today from a, uh, a greater standpoint. And that is sort of how Genesis tells us the story of how God operates. Really, Genesis 1 is really telling us more about God than is actually telling us about creation. It's telling us about how God operates, how God thinks, how God creates and forms, more than it is simply telling us about the actual breakdown of 
the, the land appearing and water and sun and moon and stars and all that. So that's a side point. But let's look at Genesis 1 and uh, verse 2 in particular here. And three words stick out to us in Genesis chapter 2. I'll read it again and you'll begin to start to see here the three words that kind of jump out. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Three words begin to start there. The, it gives us the, the, the description and the, and, and, and the, and the current state of the, uh, of, of, of the cosmos at the time of creation. And it uses three words. And I, now I was going to do a whiteboard today. In fact, it's right here in case you're wondering. My whiteboard's right here. But, um, I decided today not to get so caught up in the whiteboard that we're going to try to stick more to scripture than necessarily visualization. But um, if I had the whiteboard today, I could write these down. Um, but there's three words that stick out to us there in that description. And that is, uh, in, and that is um, form. And really, when we talk about form, we're talking about formless, without form. Because there was no form. It was... It was formless. It was void, which is another word for empty. And finally, it was dark. And notice here, because we're going to see this later on when we get to Luke chapter 5. This is a very important kind of connection here. It was darkness upon the deep. We see darkness and deep kind of connected. So those three words there, we see formless, empty, and dark. We begin to see that this is the this is the current state of the cosmos at the time of creation, and it was from this current state that we begin to see the opening act of creation when God says, "Let there be light." Boom, light happens, and then from there we begin to see the breakdown of the different elements that God begins to create over the next six days, finalizing that creation with. Uh, Adam, and then finally on day seven, God rests, right? But the opening part of that is this formless, empty, dark picture that's being painted at what earth was or what the cosmos was at that time. Now, again, we can look at this and we can look at it from a scientific standpoint. And if we do that, we could sit here all day and debate exactly what that means. But we're going to take those three elements and not looking looking at them from a from from a a a a, um, a worldview. We're going to look at those three elements to describe more of a spiritual condition, because Genesis one. If you look at Genesis one, and I'm not going to teach this today, but if you look at Genesis one and you break it down by each element, you find that Genesis one follows the pattern in which God operates in our life. For example, the first thing that happens in Genesis 1 after the description of the um of the 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 current state of the cosmos is it's it's formless, empty and um uh, dark. It says that the spirit of God was hovering. Meaning the spirit of God was there but it wasn't interacting yet with what was there? It was there, it was surrounding it, but it wasn't interacting. And then the opening number to that whole entire uh, orchestrated score is, let there be light. 
And if you parallel that with us, there's a moment in our lives, whenever that might be, it might be when you're younger, it might be when you're older, that the light, and in scripture, light represents God, and scripture, light represents his word, it represents revelation, where God reveals something to us. We have those moments in our life, especially before we come to Christ, when we have a light moment, a let there be light, when we realize there is a God, and that God cares about me, that God is real. And if till you have that light moment, Nothing else afterwards can happen. That's why it's so important for us, and I'm forgive me for getting off here for a moment, but that's why it's so important for us as believers when we're interacting with people, we can't start telling them about the birds and the bees and the robins and the trees if they have not had a let there be light moment. You can't birth something that has not yet been conceived. So I've taught this before, but I want to remind you again. There can be no Acts 2.38, which is the new birth experience, John 3, the new birth experience, without first being conception. You can't birth something that has not yet been conceived. So this is important because you've got to have a let there be light moment. And there are sometimes in our lives as believers, as we interact with people around us, that your job may simply be to bring them to a let there be light moment. Some so, some water, God gives the increase. It's not my job to do all of those elements. It's my job to do whatever God places. So I'm not going here today, but this is a good moment to teach this. For a moment. Is that until you have a let there be light moment. There can be nothing after that. So we as believers have to walk in connection with Jesus Christ. Because as we walk in the light. He is the light. And that light shines into darkness. So for us as believers. As us trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't have anything after, anything anything after does not work until there's a let there be light. So we see in Genesis 1 again, and I'm trying to slow down here because I'm going to get really deep into this stuff because it's exciting for me and I enjoy doing it. I'm going to get lost in the weeds and you're going to probably start to tune me out. But we see Genesis 1 start to break down this even parallel, our own our own formation and we come to, when we walk with Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at form. Form, empty, formless, empty, and darkness as really a representation of a spiritual condition that we find in the beginning of Genesis 1. Because as we see this play out, we begin to see creation happen. But then we get to the, the, the real important part of creation to you and I. Now, not to say that the stars and the moons and the birds and the bees and the trees, all that matters to us. But the real part of creation that really important to you and I is, is day six when God gets down in the dust of the earth and he forms man. Because that's how you and I got here. It was that formation of man that brought you and I into existence. And that's an important to us. But there's something right after that, and we're going to read it again. Again, we're going to get to it here. I wasn't going to read all of it, but I feel like it's necessary. Um, let's go ahead and read. I was going to read 28, 29, but let's go read 26. Again, if you got your Bible, go with me. Genesis 1, 26. Again, you probably read this, but let's read it again. We're talking about spiritual formation right now more than we are trying to prove or disprove the scientific merit of Genesis 1. 
Verse 26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is what I want to get to, verse 28, because 28 is going to go back and address. Watch it now. You're going to have to follow this for a moment. 28 and 29 are going to go back and address the three elements we found in the very, very beginning. Formless, empty, and uh, dark. And God begins to address this, but it's more than just addressing it from this standpoint of creation. He's laying the foundation for humanity as we go forward because these elements are, 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 are present in all of us. And he says in verse 28, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, that, God said to them, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed for, uh, to you, it shall be for food. Now you're going to, okay, how does that play into Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, how are we seeing the parallel? So let's go back to Genesis 1, verse number 2, and let's look at those three elements again. We have formless, we have empty, and we have darkness. Now that word darkness there um, is also a word for obscurity. Obscurity is unknown, unimportant, right? You live in obscurity, you're unknown, unimportant. So those three elements are present at the cosmos when the creator steps in to begin the, the, the orchestrated act of creation. He comes back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and it begins to create man. But because man at the time when he creates him is this new creature, he addresses to, to man the same elements of creation that he addresses from the very beginning. Watch this because we have formless, empty, and void. So we're going to break those three things down into a little different wording. Because we see this happen in Genesis chapter 1. And that is the three elements that we're going to talk about, we're going to parallel them, are ambition, appetite, and approval. Let's run that back one more time, those three elements. Ambition, appetite, and approval. Those are the three elements we're going to use today and... Uh, you know what? I don't have the whiteboard with me, but I do have the ability to improvise on the fly. So just because I want to make sure you get this. See, this is what happens when you do live television. You can do these kind of things. So bear with me here today. How's your weekend going? Good to see you today. Uh, are you a hot dog or a hamburger person tomorrow? Uh, what's your what's your uh, what's your favorite? Um, <laughs> Memorial Day food. Um, I'm more of a, a a burger type guy, but every once in a while I'll take a uh, I'll take a hot dog. So we are improvising on the fly here. I don't have the ability to make it fancy, but these three elements. This is what I want you to I want you to remember as we go through this. I'm going to block my face for a second. Ambition, appetite, and approval. Those three elements. I want you to get them in your head. Ambition, appetite, and approval. Because we see from the very beginning. Let's go back and let's break it down. 
right? Genesis 28, 21. Then God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he said to them, see, I give you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Watch this. The Lord blessed them. Approval. He gave them everything they needed. Appetite. And then he established them as his representatives on his behalf to rule. Ambition. Because let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 1. Now we're going to follow this through. We're going to follow this thread here. I, I'm not going to follow through all the scripture even though it's there. We're going to go from here and we're going to go into the life of Jesus Christ because we're going to have that parallels us today, not only in our relationship with Jesus Christ, but as believers as we walk with him. Because these three elements, I believe, represent the three foundational elements of humanity. These three elements are the foundation and really all struggle in our life, all searching, all all, 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 all the things that sort of answer can go back to one of these three categories. It's either about approval, it's about appetite, or it's about ambition. If we could summarize everything that we deal with in this world, everything that pulls us in many different directions, everything that we're searching for, everything that we're trying to find answers for, for all of us, we could trace it back to one of those three elements. It's either dealing with our appetite, it's either dealing with ambition, or it's dealing with approval. And right now today, every one of you, if you're struggling in some area of your life or you're searching for answers in some area of your life, you can trace those struggles back to those three are one of those three elements, sometimes two, and maybe at times all three of those elements. But for you today, maybe you're somebody who, who is searching for something to fill you. It doesn't matter what it is. You try money, you try friends, you try success, you try education, but nothing seems to be able to fill this void. You feel satisfied for a moment, but it just leads you to want more, to want more, to want more. You have somebody that is an appetite, but there's some of you that literally approval is something, whether it's man's approval, whether it's approval of a parent, whether it's approval of a boss, a teacher, a spouse, or self-approval, you're searching for approval. You're searching for worth through approval. Or maybe today you're somebody ambition. Money's not your thing. Approval's not your thing. But you're going to make your mark. You want to have purpose. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Why was I born? What am I doing here? Why am I taking up space on this earth? Why am I breathing? What is this all about? Ambition. And if you begin to trace all of the things in our life right now that you're, that you're searching for, that are bringing us, that really there are only three answers. We're going to get to this in a minute. The only three answers to all these is Jesus Christ. He fills all three of these things. He is the one who conquered all three of these things. And he is the one who is the answer to all three of these things. But everything right now that you're dealing with, I guarantee if we, if we, if we begin to pull on the threads somewhere along the line, it's going to bring us back to one of these three elements. It's either ambition, appetite, or approval. So in the very beginning, instead of you going, man, what's wrong with me? No, no, no. It was built into you. Because from the very beginning of creation, we've seen this formless, without form, 
No, nothing to, nothing to, to frame it, nothing to, to determine it, nothing to define it. It's got no ambition. It's got nothing. It's, it's just, it's, what's the purpose? It's formless. It's got no purpose. Formless means it's got nothing. It's no def- def- defined purpose. And then empty. It's void. It's empty. There's nothing to fill it. And finally, darkness. Darkness upon the deep. Darkness is obscurity, unknown, unimportant. Not really anything to approve of. And then God comes along in Genesis 1 and he tells Adam, Adam from the very beginning, here's three things I'm going to do. Number one, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you my approval right from the very beginning. And then I'm going to give you everything you need. Now we could have, man, if we get a time today, we could go through this stuff because even in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven on the Sermon on the Mount, we can see these three things paralleled in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. He said, do you think the birds get up every day and worry about where they're going to get food? Or do they have a heavenly father, a creator, that makes sure that the, who waters the flowers in the field? Who makes sure that the flowers get enough sunshine? Who makes sure that the birds eat? Who makes sure that all the things, I sit outside sometimes, and I, 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 we, have, we, have, we have woods behind us, and I look out there sometimes, and it's not a lot of woods, it's a small patch of woods behind us that, of our house, but I look back in there, and I, and I just imagine the whole entire ecosystem of that little patch of woods, from the birds that fly above to the small animals and sometimes even the deer that run through and even the small little rodents and chipmunks and mice and whatever else lives there and then the insects and all that is orchestrated and balanced by this creator who put all that into place and even this little small patch of ground behind my house has got this beautiful orchestrated woven balance it's beautiful to think about the, the complexity and the simplicity and all in the same in the same part. And all of that's happening. But behind me today, the, the birds that are flying back there, they're not, they're not stressing today how we're going to eat because they have a heavenly father that's placed all these things into play so that they... Who does that? He said, if, if, if I can do all that, don't you think I can supply your needs? So he gave him approval. He said, I give you everything you need. But more importantly, I'm going to place you as my representative on this earth. You're going to subdue it. You're going to be in charge of it. You're going to be me on this earth. I'm going to give you ambition, a purpose, your purpose. And so what happens? Man begins this situation, right? But as always, because of our humanity, this stuff right here, right? This lovely stuff we deal with. Uh, yuck, right? For most of us, this flesh stuff that we have to deal with, guess what? Like always, we are masters of messing it up. Man, I don't know about you, but I can mess some things up, man. I am really good at messing up. I can do some, I, I, I can make a royal mess of some things. If there is a professional league of messing up, I'm probably I'm 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 at least a starter on the team, and I'm probably going to make the All Star team a lot of days. Because if you're talking about messing up, man, I'm good at that. And we find that God puts this; He recognizes it. He He it it it's it's the basis, the foundation of creation. And then he addresses it in man. He puts these things in play. But then man, because we are, we are 
flawed creatures, sin comes into, into play. And sin, because sin separates us from God. Now walk with me here for a moment. You're going to lose me. Give me about 20, 20 minutes more. Focus in your spirit. Don't just leave me here. But you see what happens? Sin comes in our life, right? And we were born into sin because we were begat in sin from our fathers. Sin is passed on. We were born in sin by nature. Sin does what? Sin separates us from God. So if sin separates us from God, it separates us from the one who can fulfill these three elements, ambition, appetite, and approval. These three things were, were addressed by God in the very beginning. He allowed them to be there. They were a part of the cosmos when he stepped in. He put this in the foundation of man. He addressed it. He gave all of the answers to it, but sin separates us from God, but it doesn't remove the need to fulfill these three elements, ambition, appetite, and approval. So what happens? We don't have God to fulfill these things, so what do we do? We start making up our own way to fulfill these three needs, these core foundational needs. We start coming up with ways we can do this. And man is created and has spent thousands of years in this quest to try to find ways to bring up these different elements and how to address these different elements. And you know what's amazing? The danger in all this is that sometimes you can, through your own strength, address one and sometimes two of these elements. And that's a danger because if you can address one or God forbid two, then you convince yourself, if I got those things down, then I can find the third. But you realize that if you got the first two down, you got lucky because it's no source that can fulfill these but Jesus Christ, the creator, who was the one who, dis who, who designed it from the very beginning. And man has gotten away from that. But you see, there's some of you today, without God, you have ambition. You're going to make something of yourself. You're going to make something. You, 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 you've, got, you've got ambition and, and, you, and you've, you've had success in your job or career or your military service or your, your, your climb up the corporate ladder or starting your own business. And so for you, yeah, God is good, but you don't really need God to address your ambition. You got that. Or maybe you're somebody whose appetite, meaning you're not somebody that's big, you're not a big materialistic person. Maybe that's not you. You're not into, 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 into to, 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 to stuff. You're, you just, you're more, you're, you're not, that's not who defines you. For you, you know, that's, that's not really satisfying you. So you got that element. Without God, you're still like that. There's some people that I know that they're not even believers, but you know, they, they, they're just really content living a very simple life. And there's others of you that, you know, approval's not that big because you've gotten it. You had, you know, you had a, an approving father, an approving mother, maybe, and you had an approving spouse or, you know, whatever it might be. And so for you, you've had approval. So, you know, God, yeah, God approving of me is a big deal, but it's not quite, it's not, it's not, it's not shredding my, 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 um, it, it, it's not shredding my uh, internal foundations. And so because... Maybe you have one or two of those elements solved on your own. The deception is, well, I can do two. I certainly can do three. But the realization is, 
That's an impossibility. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. Because here's why I say that. Because there's only been one person ever that's been able to accomplish all three of those. There's only been one person that's ever been able to do that. Because watch what happens. Ready? In the very beginning, God set man up. When man was in the garden, man was living connected to God before sin separated man from God. That man was set up with these three elements being addressed. He gave them ambition, he gave them appetite, and he gave them approval. All three of those things were addressed. But we separate. The first Adam's sin separated us from God, which then opened us up to have to fulfill these three needs on our own. But thank God the Bible says that there was a second Adam. What the first Adam got us into, the second Adam got us out of. Ooh, can I get an amen? What the first Adam brought into our heart, the second Adam got it out of our hearts. And watch what happens when the second Adam showed up. The second Adam showed up in Genesis and Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when Jesus is baptized and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and the voice out of heaven says in Genesis and Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my son, whom I love. With whom I am well pleased. Right there in the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is announced on the scene. Right there. God declares that what Adam messed up. Jesus is about to fulfill. Because he said. He gave him approval. This is my son. This, 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 He belongs to me. He gave him a satisfaction for his appetite because he said, I love him. And you know, if God loves you, he said, everything, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give? And he gave him ambition. He gave him ambition. It was his intention. His words were his ambition. He said, this is my son. What you have done and what you're going to do, I'm approving of because you're my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. So from the very beginning, we see God addressing these things in Adam and in God addressing these things when Jesus Christ steps onto the scene. But you see, the devil understands these three areas of our life, these weaknesses. Because if you follow the the, the story, the narrative of Jesus Christ, what happens? He gets baptized. The dove descends on him from heaven. God speaks. God addresses these three things. He gives him approval, appetite, ambition. And Jesus does what? His next step, he heads off into the wilderness. And guess what happens when he heads off into the wilderness? Like all of us. The devil is going to face off against him and he's going to offer him an alternative to all three of these things. We call them the temptation of Christ. But if you follow this, and we're going to do this right now, you're going to follow that the temptation of Christ parallels the three things. He, he, he challenged his appetite, he had challenged his approval, and he challenged his ambition. What was the first? What was the first? For those of you that have studied this and read it, What was the first temptation? What was the first thing he challenged Jesus to do? 
The first thing he challenged Jesus to do was to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus counters that with, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was in these words that Jesus revealed that he trusted in God's word as a means for his personal substance. We see this. Jesus said he would wait for God's word and trust in the Father for all the provision he needs. In other words, he wouldn't try to make things happen. He wouldn't allow his needs or his natural human desires for self-preservation to define his behavior. Let me ask you this. For those of you that are like, well, that's not really me. Let me ask you this. How many times have you tried to make something happen? How many times have you attempted to turn stone into bread? How many times have you missed out on a miracle because you wanted to try to do it yourself? I read a story not too long ago and it was very convicting. There was a, a man who was a, an American who was in Indonesia teaching at a Bible, a, Bible, um, a Bible school. And as he was there at his Bible school, uh, that um, he was the head of the Bible school and obviously uh, teaching these Indonesians, um, these young Indonesian students. And so when he came from America, he brought with him a supply of Advil and Tylenol. And so he comes to, to, to Indonesia and um, after being there for a little while, uh, he'd get a call in the middle of the night. Brother so-and-so come. So-and-so is extremely sick. They're ill. He'd go over to the room. He'd assess it and realize that their condition was maybe a headache or something somewhat benign. He'd give them two Advil. Or give him some Advil, give him Tylenol, and they'd take it. And he'd walk back, go back to sleep. The next day they'd get up. Most of the time they were, uh, they were better. So he got put to the point where, um, where every time he got a call, most of the time he'd just go take his Advil and Tylenol and go and give it to them, and, and, uh, and they'd be okay. Well, later on, he got to talking to some of the students. And in discussion... With the students, they ask him, why do you have such weak faith? He was taken back by this because, you know, he, he was the, the instructor. He was the head of the Bible school. I didn't have weak faith. He's got strong faith. They ask him, why do you have weak faith? And he says, well, can you ask why? You say I have weak faith? And they say, well, every time someone's sick, you give them medicine. He said, well, yeah, because it... it he, it cures them. And they said, no, 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 it doesn't cure them. God cures them. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, every time you came and gave medicine, when you would leave, we would all gather around their bed and we would pray. And we would pray. Because we believe God was the miracle worker. God was the one that healed. We didn't trust in your medicine. We trusted in God for healing. He was so convicted by that. Because for us, for any of us, and me, me included, I was convicted by it because I don't give God enough chances. Because, you know what, I've said this before, and so many people, you know, I've had this question asked, 
because I've been overseas, I've been to Africa and Asia and different places and seen God do amazing stuff. And people have asked me, well, why does God do stuff there and doesn't do it in America? And I pondered this question for quite a while, and I believe the Lord gave me an answer years ago. And the answer was very simple. And that's because Americans, we have too many options. And um, but two or three years ago, Brother Grossbach, who's a missionary to Africa for 30 years, he verified this without realizing. He gave... He verified what I said because he said, you know, you take a young man in a village in the middle of Africa and he's got an abscessed tooth. There's no dentist around. There's no medication he can take. His tooth is, and have you ever had tooth pain? I'm telling you, there's almost no pain like tooth pain. Several years ago, I had a tooth that went bad and for two days, literally, I just, I did nothing but cry. It hurts so bad. He said, you've got a guy that's sitting there with an abscessed tooth. He's in pain. He's got no dentist, nowhere to go, no medication. He's got two options. God heals him or that rock that's right there. He's going to have to take that rock and go to work. Well, I'll tell you right now, let's be frank. If you've got a choice between God healing you and that rock that's on the ground, taking that and smashing your face in to get that tooth out, your prayers are going to be a little different. Because let's be honest, I have an abscess tooth. I'm like, oh, God, heal me. But if you don't, I got a dentist appointment tomorrow at 10 a.m. And the dentist will take care of it. But God, if you would spare me from going to the dentist and have to pay that money, I'd appreciate it if you would heal me. But God, I really don't need you to heal me because I'll get this thing taken care of. But God, if you would spare me the inconvenience of having to go and miss work tomorrow to go to the dentist and have to pay all that money at the dentist, I'd appreciate it. But God, really, honestly, I don't really need you to heal me because you're the healer. I really could use you to heal me because God, I really don't want to be inconvenienced. Now, we don't say that, but that's how we are. But let's say tomorrow you had no dentist to go to. And if you knew God didn't heal you, there's no hope. Trust me right now. There would be a whole different ball game in your prayer. There'd be a whole level of faith and desperation that would break out in you. So how many times have you tried to turn stone into bread in your own life? Make things happen. You're going to go do it. I'll figure it out myself. I'll solve the problem. That's what the devil wanted Jesus to do. He said, you got the ability. Turn the stone into bread. Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way. I got a heavenly father who supplies my needs. I got a heavenly father that, who, is, who satisfies my appetite. So the devil goes, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's go to the next one. He took Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And he invited him to demonstrate this Okay, you really believe? Okay, if God really approves of you and you who are you say you are, then fine. Throw yourself off this temple. Um, and if you throw yourself off your temple because you're approved by God and you're the son of God, then he'll just bring angels down and catch you and swoop you up. Let's test if see if God really approves of you. And ultimately, the amazing part, a demonstration like that would have certainly secured the favor of the crowd. They would have certainly, uh, the, the crowds would have approved of it. Wow, look at Jesus. He is definitely the son of God. You know, think about how many times Jesus could have easily proven with some wild spectacle that he was the Messiah. But he would heal somebody and would tell them, go tell no one. Or he would reveal he was the Messiah to a woman at the well when nobody was around. But when he had the opportunity to really show it, he didn't do it. Because he wasn't trying to find the crowd's approval. He only wanted the Father's approval. And watch this. In this temptation, Jesus rebuffed 
the temptation, telling the devil that no one should put God to the test. In this challenge, Jesus dealt with the tendency in all of us to seek approval of others before that of God. In his first temptation, the devil tempted him to turn rocks into bread. And Jesus had already established that he would be dependent upon what God said rather than anything else. In this temptation, Jesus affirmed that he believed the Father's approval was never in doubt. Now watch what happened. If Jesus would have failed this test, he would have, been, he would have never been able to challenge the religious hierarchy of Israel or to be free from the expectation of the crowds who followed him. You see, you are going to find approval one way or the other. You're going to find God's approval, and that's going to define your life, or you're going to look for approval by those around you, people's approval, people's opinion. But you see, you can never seek people's opinion and find approval from God. And a lot of times, if you find God's approval, it's going to put you at odds with people. But Jesus would have never been able to do what he did if he would not have found the Father's approval and trusted and believed in that approval. It was this, it was this temptation and overcoming this temptation that freed him to go to a cross. Because when they said to them, if you are who you say you are, why don't you call down the legion of angels? Why don't you call down angels to come rescue you? And he could have easily done that and proven to the world he was Messiah by just one simple word. The angels could have come down there, taken him off the cross. He would have been instantly healed. He could have wiped out every soldier. He could have stood on Calvary and said, I am Messiah, believe in me. But you see, he would have won man's approval, but a lost approval of the Father because Jesus' whole mission, whatever I see the Father do, I do. Whatever the Father says, I say. I don't care about anything else but my Father's approval. And I'm going to tell you what, my friend. You're never going to find God's approval and, and get approval from this world. You're going to have to choose one thing or the other. Either you're going to find approval by God or you're going to find approval by the world. But let me tell you this. Here's the false narrative of this world it's never going to approve of you because what they approve of today they're going to disagree with tomorrow and you're constantly going to have to be changing every day to meet someone's new expectation and if you find if if you if you seek to this person's approval you're going to offend that person and if you if you seek that person's approval you're going to offend that person and you're going to be running yourself crazy trying to satisfy everyone and satisfying no one and in the end you're the one that's going to be left in empty because he's the only one that can give approval he's the only one that can satisfy he's the only one that can truly fill the hole and the emptiness and the void in your heart he's the only one that can speak into your life and say let there be light from the very beginning that says you are my son you are my daughter in whom i well please he's the only one that gives true approval it's him I've learned anything over the last two years. It's that if I want approval his way, I'm going to have people around me disapprove. I'm not saying it makes it easy. But look at the opinions they had of Jesus. 
Well, if you are who you say you are, do this. Well, if you really are who you do, do this. Do it that way. Do it that way. And every time he came back to the same thing to combat that is, it's only about the Father. What does the Father want me to do? Who does the Father say I am? You're either going to be free for his approval or prisoner to others' approval. Or in some ways, maybe prisoner to your own self-approval. But you see, Jesus said, you know what? Appetite, I'm not going to make it. It's only coming from him. He's the one. But approval, Jesus would have never been able to challenge the religious if he would not have been freed from their approval. My God, they try to stone him. They try to kill him. They ran him out of town. They called him every name out of the book. They, they did everything they could. How did he withstand all that? Because he knew he was approved of the Father. Because in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, he put approval baked into the cake. We all want to be approved. But there's only one answer to being approved. And that's approved by our Heavenly Father. Some of you never found the approval of a parent. You never found the approval of a, a teacher, a spouse, a, a co You've never found external approval. So you've changed. Some of you don't even know who you are. I'm speaking to someone today. You don't even know who you are. You're so lost inside because you've listened to everybody around you to determine who you are, but you've never sought the voice of the one who made you. I will tell you what. I said it just a minute ago. I'll say it again. If the last two years have taught me anything, is that sometimes when he approves of you, it's going to mean more people are going to disapprove of you. That's the test. I don't know if you're ever going to be approved by God and approved by everybody around you. Jesus proved that point right there, but he over he proved to overcome that it's back to one thing. What does he say? Who does he say I am? So Jesus overcomes that. He addresses the approval. And finally, the devil's like, okay, fine. All right, I'll give you those two. But I know where you're really at. I know where things are. And he finally says, let's test your ambition. Fine. Appetite, don't turn the stone into bread. Okay, well, fine. You've got approval of the Father, but still, there's one more weakness I got on you, and that's your ambition. And he says, you know what? He says, listen, here, fall down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. If you really, really honestly think those two, I know where to get you. And it was during this temptation of Jesus that his ambition was tested. He wanted his kingdom to rule the world. He still does. His kingdom, the one he came to establish. But the devil, who the Bible calls the current prince of darkness, offered him that very thing just as long as he allowed, he was allowed to remain in his position of authority and power. Look, I won't get in your way. Do whatever you want long as you don't mess with my world. I wrote this in my notes. People have often wondered whether worshiping the devil is really a temptation for Jesus. But if you really break that down, 
the old English word from which we get the modern word worship. It means simply to give honor or worth. So really what was happening here is the devil really wanted, what the devil really wanted was to remain hidden behind the veil of human activity as the architect of the world system. The offer was to Jesus was to fulfill his ambitions as good as they were, as long as he was able to stay in a position of power, the devil. But we know that Jesus did not come to make a deal compromise with evil. This is not for today, but one of these days I'm going to be able to teach this because really what speaks to something here, the devil wants you to be a good Christian. The devil wants you to be a good Christian. He wants you to do all the good Christian things. Go to church, pay your tithes, look like a good Christian. That's what he wants. Because as long as he can get you to convince that's the, that's the goal, but he secretly stays in power, he's never challenged, he can run your life, he can tempt you, and he can have you chasing things that God's really not the one in charge of your life, that you really honest, you're not seeking his will, but you're just being a good Christian, the devil would love that. In fact, the devil would love for us to just be a good church. He doesn't mind giving up a few people in this war, right? He'll give up the little five or 10 or 100 or 200. Wow, look, we're a good church. Why millions are stayed in bondage. The devil would love for you to just be a good Christian. Be a good little Christian. You get God and you put God in his rightful place and you do a little good Christian thing as long as you never challenge his power and his authority. As long as you never put on the armor of God. Never, as long as you never stand in spiritual authority. As long as you don't do that, he's okay with that. Just be a good Christian. But you see, God has not called us to make a deal or compromise with evil. God's called us to be more than conquerors. You see, we finally with this, and I'm, I'm done in the next five minutes. So we see these three things, and finally we see the final piece to this puzzle play out in Luke chapter 5. Verse number 1, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word that they stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him, saying, Master, we have toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they got a great, great, number of fish that was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And he said, And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So they had bought brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. 
So from the very beginning, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that the cosmos had ambition, appetite, and approval. It was empty, it was formless, and it was dark. Then in Genesis 1, 28, 29, we see God address appetite, ambition, approval in the creation of man. But man's sin pulls him away. So then what happens? Jesus comes along and 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 to the very beginning when he's introduced into ministry and God when he says this is my beloved son whom I'm, who I love and whom I'm well pleased boom we see right from the beginning ambition appetite approval boom and then Jesus is tempted in all those three years by Satan and he says nope appetite nope approval nope ambition nope so when Jesus goes to select his followers we find this story play out look their nets were empty their nets were empty They were in the darkness of night. And they had no form, no ambition. They were just trying to survive. They had no thought beyond the next catch of fish. And so when you have an empty net, and then you know that an empty net represents no satisfaction of ambition, and you're standing there, and you've got no approval because absolutely you're in the darkness, you're in emptiness, you're in you're in this you're in, you're in this uh, obscurity because you're going back to the land with no fish. Everybody's going to say you're a failed fisherman. Jesus catches them in this moment, and right then and there, he says to them, "Let's solve this right from the very beginning. Put your nets out. Boom. Filled. I'm showing you from the very beginning, fellas, that if you want." If, if you follow me, I'm going to take care of everything you need. Here's full nets. Boom. Because of that, I'm showing you that if you belong to me and I approve of you, nothing else matters. And he finally says, instead of catching fish, you're going to catch men. I'm going to give you ambition right from the very beginning. You see, the only true way to solve all of these things in our life that lead us to these three fundamental desires is Jesus Christ. Because not only did he conquer those things, things, but consistently, and there's so many scriptures today, I don't have time, maybe I'll come back later and preach and talk part two. But man, every place in scripture, you can find one, if not two, or all three of these elements being satisfied when Jesus ministers. And we can find that man is always struggling to have these things met. So what are you today? Are you struggling with ambition? Are you struggling with appetite? Are you struggling with approval? I got a very simple answer, and it's very simple. There's an old song that says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus. It goes back to him. He's the way. In fact, there's a, I'll look it up here. I got to look up the verse. There's a verse and I, I'll get it wrong here. But let me see. I pull up here and say, yeah. If you have some questions in the corners of your mind and traces of discouragement and peace you cannot find, reflections of the old past seem to face you every day. There's one thing I know for sure. Jesus is the way.
Then later on it says, I know you got mountains that you think you cannot climb. I know that your skies have been dark. You think the sun won't shine. In case you don't know, I'm here to tell you that the word of God is true. And everything he promised, I will tell you, he will do it for you. Because Jesus is the answer. I know it sounds simple, folks. And you're like, wow, all that to get down to one simple thing, Jesus is the answer. Yes, because it's that easy. If you seek him, you'll get approval. If you seek him, he will satisfy every appetite. If you seek him, he will give you the ambition to fulfill your life's greatest purpose. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's Jesus. It started with him. It ends with him. Father, I thank you today. I have, to the best of my my ability, have tried to only speak what you've given me today. Share it with the same passion and same faith and emotion you gave it to me. Lord, if there's any bit of Joel in this at all, I'm praying, God, that you would erase it out of all of our memories today. But God, everything that was spoken today that was from you, let it be sown in our heart. Let the seed of that be placed in our heart because I, God, I know you desire to fulfill our lives. You desire to have, to give us approval. You desire to satisfy our appetite and you, you desire to give us true ambition, but it's only by you. So sometimes father, in order to find your way, we have got to acknowledge our way does not work. Our way doesn't work. We can't, we've got to stop trying to turn stone into bread our way doesn't work. It's only your way. And whatever that has to do, whether to humble ourselves, put down our pride, our will, our desires, our thoughts, our agenda, come to realization that you alone are the answer. Father, I speak today in Jesus' name that the light of your revelation would penetrate into the darkest places of our heart. And God, you said today you stand at the door and knock if anyone would open it. So, Father, I can feel your spirit knocking. I pray, God, today by faith you would allow those that have been watching this to open up their heart to you in a brand new way. Not just for the very first time, but some who have known you but have only let you in to a certain degree. They've let you satisfy their heart, their ambition, or their approval, but they're still trying to satisfy their appetite through the world's way. But, God, today I pray that you would bring full completeness to us in every area of our life by your spirit. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for watching. I pray in Jesus' name that you have a wonderful um, Memorial Day weekend.